Like every preacher on the first Sunday of the month, of the year, it's likely that a sermon to do with New Year's resolutions might at least be mentioned. I suspect that's about the only mention you're going to get. Um, Although, having said that, I do believe that God is opening up to us new opportunities and new directions. Um, My wife and myself and our family have been part of this church now for around about three years. And uh, so I'm a relative newcomer uh, to, to St. Peter's. But I can tell you this, that from, certainly from my perspective, there has been a, a shift that has taken place over the, the last year that I believe is preparing us and making us ready for the year that is to come. And uh, I do believe that God is, is setting us up, uh, as it were, to take uh, on board the things that he has planned for this congregation in the near future and maybe on into the long term as well. And so I believe that there's something that God wants to do in us uh, to prepare us, make us ready, and he's been doing that kind of work uh, for some time. But uh, it has been wonderful to be part of this fellowship, to be part of this congregation and see the changes that have taken place and quite significant changes at that. And I believe that God wants us to be ready to, as this reading has uh, encouraged us, be ready to do what He's called us to do. It's a worrying um, chapter, and we know that Scripture's not broken up into chapters like this, and so uh, it's only a portion of the whole Uh, area of Jesus' ministry here, but it's a worrying chapter because it talks about um, not everyone gaining access to the kingdom of God. And uh, the challenge is uh, for us to be aware and ready to uh, fulfill what God has called us to do in order that we might be in that group who do gain access through Christ uh, into God's kingdom. So, There's been a a, a range of things that God is beginning to do in our lives at this time. But I believe that so often as Christians, we can accept second best uh, when it comes to our walk with God. We can accept second best when it comes to service of the King of Kings. And we can can accept second best in our determination um, to see God's purposes fulfilled in our lives. And I include myself in that we, in the royal we, if you like, um, when I say that, because very often I wonder um, what is going on inside of me that makes me make the decisions I make and ch- challenges uh, my heart uh, a lot. But uh, we know from the Bible that God has called us to do so much. The church is God's instrument of change in the world. The judiciary um, are not going to achieve it. They do good things. The police service uh, will will handle law and order, hopefully, within our communities, but they're not going to bring about the kind of change that God wants. Our education system, um, for all its benefits, uh, in the main, we're not allowed to talk about Jesus in schools uh, too, too easily, but the education system is not going to bring about uh, the, the change that we 
want to see and God wants to see in our community. God has called the church, that's us, to bring about that change. And we'll come back to some of that in more detail later on. But God has called us, first of all, to preach the gospel. He's called us to to declare his word amongst the nations. And that can be our own nation or it can be some other nation of the world. But the, the nations will be glad, the Bible says, when Jesus is declared to them. He's called us to make disciples. And last time um, I preached, or one of the times I preached here fairly recently, we spoke about making disciples. And it's something that is really quite important um, as far as the, the work of the church is concerned. It is central uh, to what we do, to make disciples. And uh, we are challenged uh, on that all the time. You know, if I was to ask a joiner to make me a door or a table or something, he would know what to do. If I was asked to ask a lady to make us a pot of soup, or even some of you guys perhaps, I'm an old-fashioned kind of chap. Um, but if, if you were asked to make a pot of soup, then you would know what to do. But sometimes we come and the Bible says Jesus is calling us to go and make disciples and we don't know what to do, so it never happens. But God has still called us to make disciples and we must take that um, command very seriously indeed. He's called us, as we heard this morning, to be salt and light in our communities. And uh, salt is something that stops the rot. Sailors used to put salt on fish and meat when they carried it overseas for long journeys on the old sailing ships, they used to use salt uh, on the meat to stop it rotting. So salt in a society, in a community, stops the rot. And light obviously highlights those areas which are, are sinful and dark and brings light into them. We've been called to serve the poor. And uh, our communities are... are, are um, bereft in some ways of the poor and, the, and what we might see on TV and uh, uh, um, adverts for um, some of the big charities. But we have the poor within our own communities, people who are struggling to make ends meet and find things very difficult. And they need not necessarily a handout, but a hand up, uh, some resources, some help, some, some skills, some, some friendship and, and care and love just to help them break out of the situation that they're in. So we've been called to serve the poor. We've been called to be bearers of the truth. And that's a, a challenge to all of us, is that do we bear the truth or do we bear a half-truth? Um, do we bear the truth of the gospel and do we bear the truth um, in any situation that we find ourselves? Are we telling the truth? And uh, we've been asked to be good examples to those around us. Um, and show people the way to live. God has called us to do all of these things and much, much more. Ephesians 3.10. Um, if you're going to underline anywhere in your Bible, I would underline that scripture. Ephesians 3.10. It's a remarkable um, statement. It says, and now through the church. And now through the church. It's a remarkable statement that God wants to make. And that's disappeared from my Bible completely, of course, at this moment in time. But anyway, um, 
Ephesians 3.10. His intent, that's God's intent, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So it's the church, it's us, that God is calling to deliver on God's promise to the world. He's asked us to do it. Now, I don't know about you, but I I get scared um, when that kind of thing begins to dawn on me, that it's down to me, it's down to you and I, it's down to us as a church of people to touch the hearts and lives of those round about us. It's scary stuff. Those that we work beside, those that we live beside, those that we um, bump into on a daily basis, that we travel beside. And... uh, I have a, a carpool <laughs> system working, going to work in the morning up to Arbroath. And uh, it's, um, it's interesting, to say the least. There's a, wide, a fairly wide range of age groups, mine's being the oldest, um, in the car. And the, the attitudes and, and ideas and philosophy uh, that goes on, you know, um, very much in our generation now, it's okay to, um, you, you know, you can't kill the trees, but you can murder babies in the womb. That's okay. Um, th- there's a wide range of, of attitudes. How can you possibly bring these two together? And there's a challenge, but bearing the truth into that situation. And uh, um, I always encourage them when they make expletives, you know, like things like, oh God, or whatever, um, that uh, thanks for praying for us in the car. I wind them up uh, all the time, and they get really erratic. Um, when I do that, because they're not really intended to pray at all. But um, anyway, I'll take a, a, a prayer like that rather than no prayer at all. But we're asked to bring about change within our community. We're asked. It's us. And, uh, you know, we, we can sort of try to isolate ourselves from that and say, well, it's, surely that's the minister. Surely it's the elders and the deacons. Surely it's those in the church who have some sort of ministry. No, we're all asked and commanded and called to be salt and light and to bring change now through the church. And uh, Jesus said he will build his church. And that's what I believe is happening in this congregation now. He's beginning to build us into something that he has planned, into something that he has a purpose for. And so it's not just a matter of turning up on a Sunday and hopefully we manage to get through the service without banging our head off the pew in front um, and falling asleep or whatever. But that we somehow receive what God is saying to us. That we somehow take that on board and it changes our attitudes. It changes our soul. It changes our philosophy. And it brings us into line with what God wants for us and for uh, this congregation. And so now through the church. Don't forget that. That's us. We're in a very much a changing culture. There's a huge shift going on within our culture at this moment in time. One of the things that really amazes me is the desire to be famous seems to have come across our youth culture in particular, but lots of people within our culture. The desire to make it, big names, things like X Factor and so on, they're on telly. And somebody wants to be that last person standing up um, in front of the judges and, you know, be given the uh, multi-million contract uh, to sing or whatever they have to do. 
I can't think of anything worse, personally. <laughs> I'd probably... <coughs> excuse me. I'd probably be one of these guys who got thrown out on the first day. I wouldn't even go near it for, with a barge pole, thankfully. But anyway, uh, that's another matter altogether. And so, there's this desire to be famous. But the, the, the issue that, that, that strikes me so much about that is that those who want to get involved in that, they put everything that they have into it to get there. You know, you see these people and they're sitting around in this huge hall and they've got to go in before four judges. And that's a scary enough moment. But the fact is that your folks have told you, your friends have told you that you can sing. And you go in there and it's patently obvious that you don't have a, a bright note uh, in your being. And um, you have to stand for it. They put everything into that. The whole works into it. It costs them. The cost is financial. The cost is time. There's a challenge there for us. The time for rehearsals and all the rest of it that goes through. It seems to be no object. The desire to be famous. Embarrassment seems not to hold them back. There's another challenge for us as the church. Embarrassment doesn't seem to hold them back. They'll do anything to have their minutes of fame. Their effort seems to be 100% in a lot of cases. Lots of effort they put into reaching their goal. Their goal becomes the first priority of their lives. And Luke 12, 34 challenges us on that. It says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. There's a real challenge in it for us as Christians. One of the things that surprised me was, as I watched it, I don't watch it very often, but I have watched it, um, the, the X Factor stuff. And it just gives me the cringe. It should be called cringe factor as, I'm, as far as I'm concerned at times. It's just so cringy at the start when all these people are standing up and they're dreadful. Um, but one of the phrases and the statements that have been uh, mentioned from a 16, 17-year-old, I've dreamt of this all my life, to be famous. And I think, well, you're only 16. How could you possibly? <laughs> I mean, it's not a long-term dream. But that's, it's almost like, if this doesn't happen now, and it doesn't happen for me now, then my life will be in tatters and ruined. And uh, so it is an interesting phenomenon that takes place. It's taking place in our generation as we speak. Acts thirteen thirty six says this, that David served God in his generation. David, the Shepherd's boy, shepherd's son, served God in his generation. Now, it always amazed me that these words were written because it, it kind of suggests, well, how could he possibly serve God in somebody else's generation? You can't. If, I mean, I, my father's now gone to be with the Lord, uh, was in his late 80s when he died, but I couldn't serve God in his generation. And our son David just heading off to Edinburgh tonight to get into his lodgings to start work tomorrow morning um, in Edinburgh. I can't serve God in his generation. I only have one generation, and it's mine. You only have one generation, and it's yours. It's the only opportunity you, you're going to get, and it's to serve God in your generation. He took his chance, David did, and served God when the chance was there. I've heard it so many times. If I had my life over again, 
I'm sure you've heard people make that statement. If I just had this, the same chance again, if I had it over again, I would make different choices. I would do it differently second time around. And we hear that plea um, from those who feel somehow another chance would be a great thing. But as we know, you only get one chance. There is no second chance uh, as far as our life is concerned. I mean, God gives us many chances, I believe, to follow him and to serve him and to fulfill his purpose. But there is no second life for us to come back here again and have another go and see if we can do it better the next time. This is our chance. This is it. And I would encourage you as we prepare and as God prepares us for what is about to open up, and I, I don't quite know what that is, and David and the elders are the people to ask in more detail, but I just have a sense that something is about to happen. It's just a sense of something is about to break out and break forth in this congregation, which um, is a strange feeling to have, but I just have that sense that something is about to, to happen. And so when we are ready uh, to serve God, then take the chance now when you can. When God calls you uh, to do something, take the chance now when you can. I want to read Romans 8, which is a very well-known scripture, a well-known chapter. But I want to read it through because it has an inspiration to us. Somehow or another, we feel that God might want to cramp our style. Um, and even although time is short, we will read the chapter or certainly most of it. It says in verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he commended, condemned sin in the sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. We do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their mind set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the nature, the, the spirit, sorry, have their mind set on what the spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, sorry, if you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies 
through his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. But it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it, for it for if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the Spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you received the Spirit of sonship. By him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children then we are heirs, heirs and co-heirs with Christ, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And I'll leave it there. We could spend a bit more time reading that, but I'll leave it there for the time being. But what I wanted to do was, was allow you to hear what God is saying about us. It is amazing how sometimes we have an internalized philosophy, even though it's not something we might declare, but something that's internalized inside of us that says that somehow God is trying to make life tough and make life difficult for us. That somehow or another, if we're enjoying life, if things are going well, then we must be doing something wrong somehow. And uh, it's, um, it's dreadful. Therefore, we've got to change. Well, if you look through Romans 8, you can pick out some incredible things that God has done in order that we might be free to serve him. It says there, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Well, that is absolutely wonderful because you and I know, both know, that condemnation is a killer to your spiritual walk with God. If you feel condemned, then you, you can't get out the bed. It's like you're walking or trying to run in treacle. Condemnation just pulls you down and, and sucks your life out of you. But he starts off by saying, there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ. And so we can see that God has done something wonderful in that. Then he goes on to say in verse 4 that the righteous requirements of the law are fully met in us. So God has begun to do something that is going to be fully met in us. Jesus fulfilled the law. The righteous requirements of the law will be fully met in us. Then it goes on to say in verse 11, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give your, uh, life to you in your mortal bodies. So it doesn't mean that one day we're going to shuffle off this mortal coil and, and sort of pluck our heart on, harp on the, on the um, clouds one day. Then all that's going to happen. No, he's saying that it will happen in your mortal bodies. Something's going to come about and God's going to deal with issues, but he's going to do something in our mortal bodies through the Spirit who lives in us. So it's in this flesh that you have now, and you can see it, you can touch it, you can appreciate it or otherwise, but God is going to do something in your mortal body. It's here for us now. And it says in verse 12, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, an obligation to fulfill because of what God is doing. Then it goes on into verse 15. It says, but you have received the spirit of sonship. Isn't that marvelous? Not sonship into an earthly family, but sonship into the kingdom of God. Sonship into God's family, where we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, to God himself. 
The, the way has been made open for us to cry, Abba, Father. And then he goes on in verse 18. If you present, um, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in who? In us. The glory that will be revealed in us. God's glory is going to be revealed in us. And so, what struggles and difficulties and whatnot we're having now is only a, a, a mere tick bite, if you like, in comparison to what the glory is going to be uh, when he fulfills that in our lives. And so, you can go through this whole chapter uh, seeing wonderful things. In the same way, verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps our weaknesses. We do not know how to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that we cannot express. And so, again, God is assisting us and helping us to get to the point where we can achieve what he wants us to achieve. He's, He's trying to do something in us in order that we might achieve what he wants to achieve in our lives. So God wants to give us abundant life. John 10.10, it says there, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Now, it's pretty obvious that these people around Jesus had life. They were, they were breathing beings. So he obviously wasn't talking about physical life necessarily, but a spiritual life, something new that he spoke to Nicodemus about and so on. And he said, no, there's a new birth that can come. You can be born again into God's kingdom. And uh, so he wants to give us life to the full or life more abundantly. That's a brilliant word. Abundantly means that you can't cope with it. Um, If I go out to the shops and my wallet has got an abundant amount of money, I'm a happy man. (laughs) But if I don't have enough, I'm pretty... Um, I'm really sick because I'm going to try and buy stuff, but I don't have enough to buy it. If I've just got enough, then, okay, I manage to scrape by. But if I've got an abundance, then I'm coming back probably with everything I need and money in my pocket, which is even more wonderful. You understand what it's meaning? He wants to give us more than we need. Showers of blessing. the, The hymn writer talks about showers of blessing. And we came in through showers of blessing tonight. But it's pouring down. It's something God pours out. He pours out. He's a God of abundance. And it's an abundant life he wants to give to us. So he's talking clearly about more than just um, a physical thing. But he wants to give us life. So it's not, he's not trying to cramp our style. He's not trying to destroy us and hold us down or whatever. Um, he's trying to give us the full enjoyment, the full abundance of Christian life here on earth. So it's not pie in the sky one day by and by, but it's something that God is doing now. As I was preparing for this, I I remembered a a verse which is um, way back in Exodus. And if you want to take a note of it, you can look back later. But it's the, the story of the servant of God who, who is the servant of, the, of the, the master as it is then, but we can look at it as the servant of God. The servant of the master who has come to the end of his term of slavery. Uh, in Israel, you had to spend so many years as a slave. Um, and then you were set free. You were a free man. And uh, the story tells of, of um, the, the, the master who... If the man had come to his, to his service on his own, 
and he had acquired a wife and children and so on while he was with the master, he had to be sent off on his own. He didn't get to take his wife and kids with him. He went off on his own. So if he wanted to be free, he could be free, but he had to be free on his own. He couldn't take his wife and children with him. It was a dreadful thought. But what this man did was he came to the master and he said, Look, I love you, my master. I don't want to change a master. I think you're a brilliant master. But I also love my wife and my children. I don't want to ever be free. I don't want to be free again. Now, there is a real message in there for us as God's people. And I can remember singing this song years ago. I'm not going to sing it to you now. You'd be happy to know. But it says, Pierce my ear. O Lord, my God, take me to your door this day. I will serve no other gods. Lord, I'm here to stay. For you have paid the price for me. With your blood you ransomed me. I will serve you eternally. A free man I'll never be. And that encapsulates the story because what would happen is that this man would be taken by his master to the judges. And the judges would hear his story and he would say, I don't want ever to be free. And his master would take him across and pull his ear up against the doorpost of the door and take an awl which is a circular cutter and cut a hole in his ear now if you saw someone with a hole in their ear a large hole in their ear it meant that they were now no longer ever to be set free from slavery they were never to be a free man a free man I'll never be and so that's what God that's the kind of level that God is working on he's asking us because of what he's done for us, for you have paid the price for me. With your blood, you ransomed me. I will serve you eternally. A free man, I'll never be. The challenge to us when we come to, to this new time, the new time that God is bringing us into, the, the, the incredible days that lie ahead of us, as we go into that, he's looking for us to bring back to him and say, look, we want to serve we want to serve, but we don't want to serve half-heartedly. We want to serve wholeheartedly. We want not to be free to do our own thing, but we want to be able to be a servant of the living God and serve you eternally. So, but God is not intent on making us miserable. The idea behind that was that this man absolutely loved everybody. He loved his master. God is not a brutal master. God is a loving master. And so he says, I never want to be free. Okay, we will have challenges. We will have problems. There will be issues that come up. But God wants us to serve him eternally. But there's also a commitment required from us, an obligation, as we read earlier on, for us to come and serve God. I want to divert just a little bit. Um, at this juncture, because I want to bring in another challenge. You know, <coughs> not enough challenges as it is tonight already. But anyway, why, why waste an opportunity like this uh, and throw out another few challenges? Because they're, they're coming to me as well as to everyone else. This question was once asked If you were to be accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That's an interesting question, isn't it? An interesting challenge. Here's another question, a similar question, but it might help to put it in perspective a little bit. Um, if someone were to accuse me of being a father, 
Would there be enough evidence to convict me? Well, to be able to answer the question, we need to be able to say, well, what does it mean to be a father? What's the definition of a father? If the definition of a father is that I've sired some children and you, can, you, you know, everybody tells me that my son looks very much like me, so I don't know what I can deny I've at least got one son. Um, so that's fairly obvious that in that category, with that definition, then I am a father. However, there are other definitions of a father, and those of us who are fathers will um, be aware. And you can apply this to any um, kind of relationship as well, I suspect. But if your definition of a father means that you are caring for your children, serving as a, a loving um, head of, of your home, sacrificing all the time for, for the children in order that they might go one step further than you did, providing physically and spiritually and so on. Then if that, that is the definition, then I would have to then look at the facts again, look at the information that is put before me and say, well, am I a father or am I not? So let's go back to that question. Is there enough evidence of me being a Christian to convict me? So what is the definition that we're looking for? What is the definition of a Christian? Well, there are lots of definitions that people will present. Well, I've been confirmed um, 20 years ago or two years ago. Um, I'm on a church membership list somewhere. I go to church on high days and holy days, um, Christmas and Easter and so on. I put money in the offering plate. I give to charity. I'm nice to my neighbor. By the way, nice never comes up in the Bible anywhere. If you want to look for it, it doesn't exist. Um, God is never described as being nice, and so Christians shouldn't be described as being nice either um, by that definition. So lots of people will fall into that category that, yep, I could be a Christian if I, if I have one or more of these items that I mentioned. But we read that scripture that says in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. You see, doing it is doing it. Praying about it is not doing it. Thinking about it is not doing it. Discussing it with your friends is not doing it. All these are good things. But doing it is doing it. Doing what God has called us to do is doing it. And so we need to look at the evidence that's going on at the beginning. Where are we about right now? What is our standpoint? Where do we belong? Should we be changing? Do we have to move on? Do we have to transfer some of our allegiances uh, into uh, God. See, thankfully, God is the judge of the human heart, and there's no better deal going out there than having God judge you because He's a true and a righteous judge. It's a bit scary when you think about God judging you, but you can be sure that you will get a very true judgment from Him. He is the one who can read your heart and read what's going on within you. So what is it that makes us a Christian? Obedience to God's Word. Obedience to His call upon our lives. Obedience to what He's telling us to get involved in. 
obedience to the challenges he lays before us. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, Matthew 7, and does them, he is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. It doesn't matter what gets thrown at that house, it remains a standing. It remains there because it is founded on the rock. It's established on the rock who is Christ. Our calling to serve God is more than just lip service. It's more than just attending. It's more than just being there at all the meetings, as it were. Although that's a good thing. Don't say that I'm knocking that at all. But it's more than just lip service. What about our ownership of Christ? What do we do with this one they call the Christ? What about our worship? What about our prayer? What about our our outward walk before men? Bible says that men will see your good deeds and glorify God. What about our desire to serve? Jesus said himself that the greatest in the kingdom is the one who is the servant of all. What about that desire to serve? What about our giving of time, skills, finances, our giftings? Those things that we can do so well but don't quite know why. <laughs> it's like a singing voice, for example. I mean, that's a gift from God. Um, you don't just uh, sort of buy one of them off the shelf. And so, what are the signs that God wants to see in our lives? What is it He's looking for? What is it He wants to 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 for us to, to be involved in and, and be be get along with? He wants us to serve Him. Joshua twenty four fifteen. Joshua says this, as for me and my house, well, we're going to serve the Lord. Okay, what you're going to do, you're going to do what you're going to do. But as for this house, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And we can take these words of Joshua and apply them to ourselves and say, Lord, help me. Help me to be like Joshua in that respect, to serve you with my life. Now, it may be that there are all sorts of issues that we can't cope with and we're struggling with. But nevertheless, he still wants us to serve him. The other day, don't tell my wife this, but uh, she's not here tonight, but um, I'm a regular um, attender at the local charity shops. Um, you probably know, the, by the way, I dress and stuff, and kind of things I've got around me. But um, I, I love going to charity shops to find out what they're raking about in the shelves and find what books they've got and junk they've got in them. I drag it home, and my wife despairs with me when she finds out that I've brought some other trumpery into the house. But anyway... Um, I was in the shop, one of the charity shops in Arbroath not so long ago, and I found a little New Testament. And it's called The Signs of Life New Testament. And it's absolutely brilliant. And it, uh, it um, basically describes five things that show that a Christian is alive. Um, so here's a list of five things. And if you want a shot of the Signs of Life Bible, uh, New Testament, you can borrow it from me. But please don't put it back in the charity shop. What about dusty shoes? Dusty shoes, on the move, doing something. How do I become relevant? Not necessarily culturally relevant all the time, which can be dodgy. But how, how can I become relevant to those that I'm around and not sort of high and mighty and sort of holy, um, you know, which can be a criticism of Christians. Worn out knees. How do I become yielded to God? Rolled up sleeves. How do I become real? Open hands. 
How do I become generous and outstretched arms? How do I become compassionate? And I think that's a very good list. Maybe not complete, but it's certainly there. And one, a list that we can, we can take heed of. But we're at the beginning of a new year. God is about to uncover some new things to us, perhaps in our own individual lives, but I believe as a congregation, there's new things going to happen. It's fairly obvious that the place is going to be gutted, so I'm not um, prophesying or anything like that. But the, the, the building's going to change. But our outreach, our, our walk with God, I believe, is alongside that, and God will want us to change um, and maybe be renovated uh, as well. Some old things thrown out, some new things put in place. So we're at the beginning of the new year, and uh, we could do worse than to take on these five uh, components of a Christian. But there's one thing that God will want to inspire us. He will want to challenge us. He will want to melt us and mold us and, and bring us into the kind of shape he wants us to be. Here in St. Peter's, we're about to see a breakthrough, but we don't know quite exactly what that all means, but I believe it to be of quite large proportion. And God has begun a process. We're going to see new people being saved, new people coming to faith in Christ. That's going to happen over 2009. And if it doesn't, we'll be very surprised. More people needing attention, pastored and looked after and served and so on. More people in need of God's hands. In other words, our sanctified hands, because we are his hands, really. More mission to overseas destinations. More training in the church. People being trained to serve and to, to outreach and to preach and to, to do what God wants them to do. More need for servants, people with a towel around their waist who want to wash feet. I promise I won't bring mine. More boldness. And uh, that's tough for us Scots to be bold at times. More commitment, more sacrifice. More effort, more time, more money, more skills, more gifting. All of these things God wants from his people. And when revival happens in us, which I believe is part of what God's package is, is that he wants to revive our hearts and our souls and change the church uh, to be what he wants it to be. So we're given an opportunity to serve. A, is there enough evidence to, to, to convict us of being a Christian? And B, are you going to be involved there? Are you going to throw in your uh, weight behind it? Are you going to do what God has called you to do? Are you going to be part of this congregation? God is asking for signs of life to be seen. He's looking for full-on Christianity. He wants us to be proper Christians. And it says, the Bible says that if we, if we sow, then we will reap one day if we don't faint and fall over before that time comes. Many people don't see the harvest, but they've sown seed anyway. But we will see a harvest, the Bible says. So let's not, Galatians 6, 9, let's not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we'll reap if we faint not. So these are the encouragements that I would give to you uh, tonight. That's, I keep looking at that, watch only five to six, we've got another hour to go, um, so I could keep going. Um, but these are the 
encouragements that I would give to you this evening. Let's be prepared because God is doing something. Let's not be in any doubt about that. He is doing something. We don't quite know the full extent of that, but he is. So let's be ready to serve him um, and get on board with it. And let it be known that we walk down the street and somebody collars us and asks us for um, the evidence that we're able to give some evidence uh, of being a Christian. Let's pray together.